This morning's reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, starting from verse 13 and carrying through chapter 53. It's found on page 740 of the church Bibles or 1,179 in the large print Bibles. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers are silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was punished." He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord.
Well, thank you. Well read, and good morning, everyone. I don't know how your week's been, whether you've had a good week or a challenging week. Uh, the Norris week has been a bit messy. It's been a bit of illness in the house, you know, that causes a bit of havoc. And then uh, we had a cause of great celebration. My oldest son was 10, and so we had some of his friends around. That was complete mess. It was complete carnage. I do recommend I would keep trampolines, tomato, ketchup, sausages separate from one another, um, but we didn't. And then, actually, it was his birthday yesterday, and we went out for a nice lunch. But then, would you believe it, I managed to lock myself out of the rectory, lock Bex's keys inside, my keys inside. And so it's just been one of those funny weeks, you know, where it's all a bit of a mess. I want to tell you really those stories because I want to examine these verses from Isaiah. We're continuing the series, as Thomas said. And uh, I want to suggest uh, mess is a theme of these verses. And you'll know that these verses start with God singing about the coming Messiah, the anointed one of God. And uh, we've been examining all about that in Isaiah's prophecies over the last few weeks. You know, speakers often say, don't they, oh, on these verses, we could spend a year looking at them. And uh, maybe that's an exaggeration. But in these verses, you really could spend a year looking at them. So I'm going to have to skim over the top of them. I'm suggesting three things. First, I want to suggest these verses really mess with your head because they're utterly shocking. These verses, first of all, mess with your head because they're utterly shocking. Uh, I don't know uh, your story, I wasn't brought up in a Christian family, and I remember getting involved in the church, thought it was all a bit weird. I remember the first time I, I heard these verses read, and someone gave a talk on them, and uh, the guy sitting next to me was sort of helping me in my journey, I hadn't made a commitment yet, but he said, these verses, these are my, the, this is about this, this guy called Isaiah's written them, and he's prophesying about the coming Messiah, they're actually speaking about Jesus, and uh, I thought, oh, okay, and uh, then I heard them read, and I was, I was just stunned by them, uh, quite unnerved. What on earth would this Messiah be like, this God who would save the world? What was he going to be like? Jewish people of Jesus' day were confident that they could spot the Messiah, and they kind of had all sorts of preconceptions. He'd be a great king, a kind of superhero like Moses or David. And, of course, we have preconceptions about what God's like and what he does ourselves and uh, I don't know if you'd say what would the Messiah be like Mike I'd probably say something like well he would be heroic he'd probably be quite handsome and good looking great skin good hair good teeth tall and strong well built maybe kind of you know Brad Pitt Matt Damon Bradley Cooper you know he, 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 he would look good uh, he'd be good at sport, very athletic, um, especially rugby and cricket. Football's a bit vulgar. <laughs> he will be bright and well-adjusted. I mean, he'd probably be like someone who lives in Merrow or on the top of the hill. He'd probably be at the top of his year in George Abbott, although let's be honest, with his parent, uh, parentage, uh, he'd probably be privately educated. Probably be an RGS person. And, you know, he'll just go up and up and up, go from strength to strength. He'd be a partner in a firm or maybe a CEO. 
or an amazing writer or something. I'm not, talking, I'm not talking bad writer, I'm talking amazing writer. I mean like Ian McEwan, William Boyd, maybe a C.S. Lewis type, Tim Keller type. And you know, when he comes into the room, everyone, you'd all know, you'd all know that he was the Messiah. Ooh, it's the Messiah. And uh, everyone would really be hanging on his every word and gripped by everything he said. And he, he just loved being around religious people because he comes from God. He loved hanging around uh, the bishop and the archdeacon and going to Deanery Synod and hanging out at Lambeth Palace. And, you know, in his spare time, he'd probably go to Glyndebourne or Wimbledon. Love MS, coronation chicken sandwiches. And elderflower cordial. You know, he just, you know, he'd be, he'd be really happy and joyful all the time and certainly wouldn't show any weakness or vulnerability because he'd have everything under control, wouldn't suffer. You know, he's the Messiah. Well, the first time I heard these verses, I was silenced. They kind of start well, 52, 13. He'll act wisely, he'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Mm hmm, mm hmm, yes. But soon uh, things change. Uh, many people will be appalled at him, verse 14. Many will uh, be. Uh, shocked by him. His appearance is going to be disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. What? He'll sprinkle many nations. That's a bit better. That talks of cleansing and consecration. And kings will shut their mouths because of him for what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they'll understand. Because actually, despite even not hearing this prophetic word of Isaiah's, people will come to see who he is. So who is this Messiah then? Strong and bold? Mm, no, actually, no. Uh, he's a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground, chapter 53, verse 2. That means he's going to be vulnerable and he's going to have humble origins. Good looking and attractive? Um, no, actually. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him to be. What do what you mean, the Messiah's going to be ugly. Okay, but surely, okay, but surely he was intelligent, well-educated, probably born in Surrey, lived in London or Oxford or Cambridge or... No, 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 actually, he was a carpenter's son from a provincial town, like Slough or Basildon, or dare I say it, Aldershot. <laughs> Sorry. But surely, okay, okay, he was really popular. Everyone, everyone knows what it was like when, when he walked I into the room and you'd get the buzz and the, he'd be glowing. And uh, No, he was despised and rejected by mankind. Verse 3. Okay, but, okay, okay, but surely he was all together, never get hurt, in control. No, he was actually, verse 3, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. I was watching the news the other night. Two youths had beaten up an old lady and they showed a picture of her face. I looked away. So these verses mess with your head, I want to suggest as we begin. And um, they mess with our preconceptions of who the Messiah is and what God is like. This God many of us worship. So how do we respond to this? Well, if you're not a person of faith and you're on the edge, you're 
looking into the Christian faith, I would look again at Jesus Christ because we often have popular misconceptions about God and what he's like and we think he's going to ruin our lives and he's going to be really mean and vindictive. Look again at this Messiah. Look again and don't buy the popular misconceptions that God is dead, Christianity is dull and he'll ruin your life. Look again at this Messiah. And what about if you've been following God for a while? Look again at the Messiah. What expectations do you have of God? You know, often we have these expectations that God is a superhero and we'll say our prayers and they'll get answered and we'll just go from strength to strength to strength and we'll have no problems and our life will be amazing when we come to faith with him. He actually never said that and he actually never modeled that. So check our expectations of God, and let's check our expectations of our lives. You know, things will go from strength to strength. We'll do this, we'll do this, we'll get that degree, we'll get that job, we'll do that, we'll get the house on the hill, we'll do this, we'll be successful, we'll have the perfect kids, the, the 4.2 car, uh, holidays in rock, da-da, 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 and we'll go from strength to strength and strength. That's not what Jesus models. We like to think we'll go from the bottom to the top. He comes from the top to the bottom. And this is the guy we're following. So these verses mess with your head, I'm suggesting, first of all. Secondly, these verses I want to suggest this morning mess with your heart. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 6, actually is described as the center of Isaiah's prophecy. It's described as the center of the Old Testament, described as the gospel of the Old Testament. And here we see that this Messiah, this odd Messiah, who's not the superhero we thought he was going to be, actually comes to die on a cross. And he becomes a complete physical and emotional mess in order to lead us out of our own mess. He leads us out of the mess of our sin. Now I know sin is a funny word with lots of baggage. Tends to get people's hackles up. When I first heard people talk about sin in the church, I thought, I'm out of here. These guys, I mean, this is 18th century stuff. Forget it. These guys are just down on people. It's actually a a much misunderstood word. Sin is actually about our wrong attitudes to God, who he is, our wrong attitudes to other people, our creation, and even uh, wrong attitudes to ourselves. And our sin, this wrongdoing, if you like, actually separates us from God. And uh, it means that we actually can't have a relationship with God. And it's really, really serious. We don't talk about this very often in the church. The consequence of sin is actually death. That's quite serious. (laughs) And an eternal separation from God. That's also quite serious. What is more, uh, we know from the Bible that there's absolutely nothing we can do to make ourselves right before God, trying to make ourselves right before God, trying actually to live this good life, to uh, live as God would want us to. We just don't have that within us to do this. You know, when I realized I'd locked my keys inside the rectory yesterday, I kind of did everything I can to get access in. And uh, I went around, I don't know what you would do, but 
checked the doors, looked at all the windows, was thinking, where can I climb? Um, you'll, you'll know the retro at the front door, there's this big thing. I thought maybe I could climb up there, and I thought that would be a bit embarrassing if it fell off. And I had to phone up at the treasurer and say, I've just destroyed the retro. And uh, it was Jack's birthday yesterday, as I said, so I thought, I'm going in through the toilet window. And so there's this little window, and I thought, I said to Jack, just hold this broom, hold the window up, I'm going to try and go in. I tried everything, climbed up, eventually got up there, he moved the broom onto my fingers. I said, stay calm, Mike, it's his birthday. He said, oh, sorry. I said, hey, it's all right, it's all right, don't worry, it didn't hurt, it's not all right. And uh, it's all right, it's your birthday, it's your birthday, it's his birthday. And um, so I... (laughs) Climb my cup, right, just broom, just put it there, just hold it. Yeah, okay, don't move it, don't move it, okay. Right, oh! <laughs> no, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry about it, it's your birthday. <laughs> Couldn't get in. This is what it's like with us and God, we can't get in. We need, uh, in our own strength, we can't get in. And I had to go and speak to Ben in the National Trust, who brought a three length ladder, finally. With his help, I could climb in. This is what Jesus does. He opens up access to God for us on the cross. How does this work? Actually, Jesus dies in our place. The word substitution is what these verses uh, come back to. He dies uh, in our place on the cross so that we can have peace with God and find eternal life, even defeat death. And go on to live with God forever. So on the cross, Jesus dies in our place. And actually himself becomes a mess in order that we can overcome the mess of sin that wreaks havoc in our our lives. But more than that, not just sin, but also our brokenness. He dies on the cross in our place to overcome our own brokenness. So you see this in verse 4 to 6. Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering... Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we're healed. We're all like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus dies in our place and opens up access to God and deals with and breaks the power of sin and brokenness in our lives. And we can't do that ourselves. Nothing can do this ourselves. We can't do it. Our bank balances won't do it. Our property portfolio can't do it. Our qualifications can't do it. Our manners can't do it. Um, Only Jesus can do this. And I think we have to be quite careful in the church when we speak about the cross and try and explain the cross because we come up with all sorts of theories and intellectual concepts and sort of equations like the chancellors at the mansion house this week. And, uh, you know, you're trying to work this stuff out and we've done all sorts of equations. These are good things, justification, propitiation, expiation, penal substitution, substitutionary atonement. All these things are accurate and appropriate, but at the end of the day, what happens on the cross isn't an equation. It's actually God's Son giving his life for us. And if that doesn't mess with your heart, I don't know what does. So 
So how do we respond to this? Actually, we respond with celebration. This talk of sin can sound depressing and condemning, and often we can feel criticized or guilty when we talk about sin. Actually, Jesus comes not to rub sin in, but rub it out and lead us out of sin. Sin messes up our lives, ruins our humanity and our dignity, destroys our lives. So when we hear about sin being taken away, it causes celebration. We become more human as a result of what Jesus has done. And of course, it's not just sin he defeats, it's our broken lives. I don't know about you, but uh, my life is completely broken. It's less broken than it was, having come to Christ. But Jesus actually dies in our place and uh, restores the brokenness and woundedness in our own lives. And uh, of course, we're not fully healed this side of heaven. I've had lots of healing since coming to faith. I've got lots of stuff going on that I just struggle with day in, day out, which Jesus hasn't healed. But I do know that he's going to heal it completely. So uh, each day, I'm open to him. I'm open to his word, open to his spirit, seeking healing, seeking holiness, and trying to walk away from sin. But I, I know it's a mess still for now. But one day, it's going to be fully redeemed, fully restored, and I'm going to be fully whole. And that's an amazing thing that God has done. So these verses of Isaiah, I want to suggest, mess with our heads. You know, we have a tendency to make God in our own image and project all our context onto him. These things also uh, should uh, mess with our heart. But I also, thirdly and finally, want to suggest these verses just don't mess with our head and heart. They also mess with our lives too. Because they're utterly astonishing. You know, when I first read these verses, I felt actually quite moved and a bit queasy if I was honest. I felt, oh my gosh, this is just, something's gone wrong in the life of Jesus. And it's, oh, I've got to look away. But we mustn't forget as we look at Jesus on the cross that it was always the plan. It's always the will. It was always the plan A. These verses are astonishing because Jesus' death on the cross wasn't a mistake or a failure. His death was planned for before the creation of the world, predicted hundreds of years beforehand by Isaiah and other prophets, and also by Jesus himself. He often spoke about his coming death. People couldn't handle it. I don't know whether you notice it. People couldn't handle it. Well, no, that's not right. Or he told people, his followers, many times, I'm going to die. When it actually happened, they couldn't believe it. And um, ultimately, we have to look to the cross and not see a helpless victim or something that happened by accident. We actually need to see that it was planned by God for his people, for his world, for their restoration. You see this in uh, verse 10. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. As Jesus himself said, not my will, but yours be done, shortly before he died. And ultimately, we have to remember that the cross was a place of horror, of death, of, ex <laughs> uh, of, uh, of just 
gross suffering, but also actually, ultimately, it was a place of triumph. And you see that in these verses, don't you, in the, in the final verses. This Messiah, actually, there's talk of offspring and producing new people and life. In verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days. What happens to Jesus? He defeats death and is with the fa- seated at the right hand of the Father. His days are prolonged as ours are when we come to him. Elsewhere in verse 11, he will see the light of life and be satisfied having completed the work the Father has asked him to do. Verse 11, after he's suffered, he'll see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. It means make many right before God. And he will bear their iniquities. And actually, Jesus ultimately is raised in phenomenal glory. Verse 12, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for them. So, yeah, what Jesus did messes with our mind, it messes with our heart, but it's also messes with our lives. He calls us like him, doesn't he, to lay down our lives and to follow the trajectory of his life. And uh, that's what we're seeking to do here as a church, isn't it? We're seeking to love God, love people, make a difference. And um, what Jesus does is he messes with every area of our life. Our personal lives, our family lives, our professional lives, our life in retirement, we live differently as a result to what Jesus uh, has done. And how do you live this life is a good question. It's a complicated question. There's lots of answers, I guess. You know, we speak of Christ, we lift up Jesus, and we're being equipped as a church at the moment, aren't we, in how we can do that. Uh, in this apologetic series. Come along on Tuesday night to uh, the relationship between Christianity and science. Is science dominant? Has it, has it smote Christianity out of the water? Well, come and hear on Tuesday night. We're equipping the church. There's all sorts of things we can do. But I want to just end with two things, two suggestions. The first is that if you're anything like me, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, I'm called to make a difference, to live this life. I'm just, I can't do that, <laughs> you know. I'm not one of these people who have it all together. I'm not one of these really competent people who will um, stride forth and change the world, really. But actually, what we have to remember is that you don't have to be a superhero to do this. This is the whole point. Our Messiah isn't a superhero, and neither are we. And so we can be tender shoots and we can basically, in our weakness, make a difference. In our weakness, change the world. And so don't let a feeling of nerves or fear or who am I stop you. Actually, Jesus models the life and models a life, a human life, that isn't the superhero life. 
And then in closing, I would say, just let's all stop trying to be superheroes. Yeah? We often do, don't we? How are you? Fine, thanks. You know, let's do this. Let's get that promotion. How are you? My life is sorted. I look, my life looks like the life in a magazine. And uh, every, I always wear clean clothes and everything. I'm always in control. And Life's not like that, is it? Let's end where we started. It's, a, it's messy. Life's messy. My life was a mess last week. It's a mess every week. And I'm not going to wait till it's not a mess to get going because that's just life. And Jesus, this person who's revealed himself to me, to you, actually models pretty messy life. Not ordered, pretty chaotic, all over the shop. And he calls us to do the same, to live a life of authenticity. You know why I became a Christian? Because I read those verses. I found them really shocking. I found them quite disturbing. But a few weeks later, as I thought about them, I thought, there's an authenticity here. There's an authenticity here. I'm not interested in a God who's a superhero. I'm not interested in a God who doesn't know what it is to suffer or doesn't know what it is to be human. Here's someone who's blazed the trail and lived my life, defeated death and gone to glory. I wouldn't mind doing that myself. So let's be authentic. Let's not take ourselves off the pitch, but look to this extraordinary Messiah who is powerful but expresses his power and weakness, who is glorious but expresses his glory in death. And let's stand together. What we're going to do is we're going to sing a song of worship and then we're going to have the opportunity just to respond and have the opportunity to be prayed for. I was praying for this talk quite a bit this week because, you know, um, it's kind of what you do. And I kind of felt just God say, you know, I can lead you out of your mess. That's who I am. I can lead you out of your mess of sin. Who here is perfect, hasn't sinned this week? Yikes. Don't tell anyone. Who here feels uber competent and uber whole? Ultra sorted. I'm not talking on the outside, I'm talking deep down. Jesus can lead you and me out of this mess. Amen.